0: great to worship you this sabbath morning in this new year and i'm looking forward to this year of how god's going to bless us individually and as a body here in honoka i invite you to turn me to the opening text this morning to john chapter 5 verse 38 and 39 in your bibles please john chapter 5 verse 38 and 39 and we continue the series entitled loves the ultimate love story and the sermon entitled this morning is entitled, Loves Unlikely Enemies. Loves Unlikely Enemies. John chapter 5, verse 38 and 39. You know, normally when we start up as Christians in a, in a walk with God, we are, normally we, I see it, we're in, so in love with God. And then what I've seen in a lot of Christians, including myself, over time is that we move on from the basics of loving God, then we move on to bigger and better things. Is that not true? And I've seen it happen over and over in the lives of countless Christians that we think, oh, we moved on from the simple things and now we're going to move on to bigger and better things. But you see, beloved, God wants us to continue on in our Christian walk, with Him as when we first began. For He always wants us to remain in Him and to remain in love with our God this morning. Amen? Amen. So this morning, let it be said of us this morning, like the song, that the longer we serve Him, the sweeter would He grows this morning. Amen? Let us pray. Father, as Your Word is open, help us see great and marvelous things out of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. John 5, 38 and 39. What did religious leaders think that they had when they searched the scriptures? John 5, 38 and 39. The Bible says, Jesus said, and you have not his word abiding in you. He's talking to the religious leaders. He said to religious leaders, you don't have the word abiding in you. For whom he has sent, him you do not believe. And notice what it says in verse 39. He said to the religious leaders, You search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have what? Eternal life. Eternal life. You search the Scriptures, you study the Scriptures, and you think you have eternal life. It says, But they are they, the Scriptures are they which testify of who? Jesus. Of me. So in other words, you search in the Scriptures, you study the Scriptures, and yet the very thing you're searching for, I'm here right before you and don't even recognize me. In other words... The church leaders in Jesus' time, they knew their Bibles. They knew the doctrines. They knew the standards. They knew evangelism. They made proselytes, Jesus said. They knew all the things, but the very thing they did, the one thing they did not know was Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, Jesus is the Word, and the Word is who? Is God. The Word is God, John chapter 1, right? And 1 John 4 verse 8 says that God is what? Love. So in other words, Jesus represents love this morning. Amen? God, or God is love. In other words, you search the scriptures, you study the word, you learn everything, you know the doctrines, you know standards, you know prophecy, but the one thing you do not know is that you do not know love. In fact, you do not know love so much that when love came and manifested itself in humanity, in real life, in action, revealed itself in action on this earth, walking on this earth, when love walked on this earth, you rejected love, and you killed love. Could this be said of us today? Could it be true of Christians today, or Adventists, that we may know the Bible, we may know the doctrines, we know the standards, we know prophecy, but we have not truly known love? Is my question this morning. Could that be possible this morning, beloved? I suggest it is. Now, turn me to another story. Turn to Genesis chapter 4, verse 2 in your Bibles. Genesis to Cain and Abel. Genesis chapter 4, verse 2. And the question I had, the first question, well, let's look at what occupations did Cain and Abel have. Look at chapter 4, verse 2. And the Bible says, Eve bare again another brother, Abel. And then it says, and Abel was a keeper of what? Sheep. So he was a. Shepherd. Okay, and then it says Cain was a what? Till of the ground, so he was a farmer. Okay, so you have a shepherd and a farmer. Cain was a farmer and Abel was a shepherd of sheep. Okay, and then so look at verse 3. When it came time to worship God, what did Cain and Abel bring? Notice the verse 3 it says, And in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the what? Fruit of the ground, an offering unto the Lord. So he's offering, making, worshiping God within his offering to God, and he's bringing what he does best. In other words, he brought his best to God, and his best was fruits and vegetables. And he brought as a farmer his best to God. He brought before God and he worshiped God with his best. Now, what did Abel offer? It says here, and Abel also brought up the firstlings of his flock, and the fat thereof. So. Abel brought, what did Abel bring? Did he bring fruits and vegetables? No, he brought a, a lamb. Now, what did God require? A lamb. So he brought a lamb. So Abel brought the best of his flock, which was the best lamb he had. So he brought it before the Lord. Now, who did God accept and who did God reject? Look at verse 4, the ending. It says, And the Lord had respect to Abel and to his offering, who brought a lamb, right? And it says, But unto Cain and to his offering he had not. Respect. God did not accept that offering, that worship from Cain. We learn that the reason why God accepted Abel's offering because Abel had brought a lamb, right, that God had asked for, and, and Cain brought his best of fruit, which was what God did not ask for. Now, why did this happen? Why did God reject? Now, who does a lamb represent in the Bible? The Bible says Jesus. So in other words, and where was the lamb slain? Do you remember any place in the Bible where the lamb was slain on the what? On the altar, which represents what aspect? In history. The cross of Calvary, right? So Abel brought a a lamb to represent Christ. So the reason why God has said to Abel because Abel worshipped God with the offering of Jesus Christ. You see, Abel saw that his best works were as filthy rags. Right? Amen? He felt that he saw how wicked and sinful his heart really was and he felt that he could not bring his best works. And in order to worship this God, he had to bring a Christ, a lamb-like offering or a Christ-like offering. And he had to bring Christ's righteousness instead of himself. In other words, he believed in Christ's righteousness. Instead of self-righteousness. And when he brought that before God and he worshiped God, it revealed and he looked as Abel presented the lamb. He thought about the lamb that was slain, right? On the cross of Calvary. His heart was moved and stirred. And it revealed that he was a man who believed in the love of God that would send his son as a lamb to die for his sins. Amen? He saw the love of the lamb. And that's what Abel saw. He saw the love of the Lamb on the cross and he it revealed, when he gave the Lamb as an offering, he revealed deep down into the heart of Abel that he loved his God. But Cain, Cain came with his offering and he offered his best. In other words, he looked at his righteousness as being able to be offered up to God as being perfect without Christ. In other words, Abel, Cain had a Christless sacrifice. And what it really re- revealed was a self-righteousness. And it revealed that there was not a love of Christ in his heart, but a love of self within his heart. A self-righteousness. You see, beloved, it doesn't matter if, like Cain, if if we give even of our best to the Lord, if our worship is not saturated with the love of the Lamb Jesus Christ, our worship is in vain. Amen. Turn to me to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17 in your Bibles. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17. Now, you know when people get baptized in a church and you hear the saying, you heard this before, that when they come into the, tr- into the church and the truth, we must, they must be rooted and grounded in the what? In the what? In the truth, right? You hear that? Or in a Word. We hear that, oh, we must root them and ground them in the truth, right? You hear that a lot. Let's see what the Bible has to say. You know what I, the Holy Spirit led me to this text and say. sometimes we, tradition is passed down from people to people. But let's see what the Bible says about when we do, uh, when we teach about truth or present truth. Ephesians chapter 3. How, what are we to be gro- rooted and grounded? In? The Bible says here in verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you've been rooted and grounded in the truth. Ah, we were right all along, right? Is that what it says? No? Are you testing me to see what, the, what I say is true or not? The Bible says here that the new members or anyone else who believes in present truth are to be rooted and grounded in what? Love. I don't know how we miss that. <laughs> Traditionally, we teach the truth, right? But I don't know how we miss that. We'll be rooted and grounded. Now, this root, this ground, what is that? What is roots grounded in? What is it normally grounded in? Soil. And the soil is actually the stomach of the plant, right? So it gives a nutrients to the plant. What feeds and nourishes the newborn Christian? Yes, it's truth, but truth only as Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, right? Amen. And truth meaning that God is Jesus and that God is love. Yes, love, that respect. But not a truth to prove you're right and I'm right. You're wrong and I'm right, right? Truth. But a truth that is humble and unselfish and servant-hearted and love. Amen? That is the truth this morning. Love is the truth. In other words, if I hear a sermon or a tract today, not before, but today, that is not rooted and grounded in, in love, then to me that is no different than when Cain offered up a Christless sacrifice to God. Rooted and grounded in love. Now, turn me to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5. So we look at it, there's present truth. I hear about present truth, and I believe in present truth. And there's precious truth that's nice. But then there's present truth. But present truth needs to be founded and grounded and rooted always. In love that's clear this morning. Let me hear you say amen. Amen. Okay, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5. Let's see what the Bible had to say. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5. What influence does one's home have upon the church? Okay, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5. The Bible says, talking about the leadership in a church, or it says, if a man doesn't know how to rule his own house how shall he take care of the what? The family church of God. If you cannot take care of your own family at home, how can you take take care of the church family at church? Does that make sense? If we cannot even save our own children, if our own children... Do not love Christ. Do not, are not obedient to Christ, and don't listen to us. How can we expect other people out there, even in the church, to even listen to us, right? Amen? Look at your hand out here. You know, if someone comes to me and claims they have some new teachings and fanaticism and new light or whatever of the gospel, but at the same time, they don't have the love of God in their families, then to me, they don't really have the gospel, Amen? Now look at this. It says here from this quotation from avenue's Home. It's a beautiful quote. And this is, you know, I not only listen to what people say, I listen to how they live. Are you following me? How the families are. How the children are raised. Are they still in the church? Are they in love with God? Are they serving God? Are they wanting to serve God? Or are they fearful to serve God? You know what i Because they're doing it out of fear, but they're doing it because out of love. Look what it says here. One well-ordered, well-disciplined family, This is from Adventist, home page 32. One well-ordered, well-disciplined family tells more in behalf of Christianity than all the sermons that can be preached. Amen? Better I sit down, amen? (laughs) All the sermons that can be preached such a family gives evidence that the parents have been successful in following God's directions and that the children will serve Him in the church. Amen? That's true Christianity. You know, true Christianity, uh, true Christianity is really us as living, walking epistles, the Bible says, right? Or walking Bibles where people, known and read by all men, the Bible says, they can see your life. True Christianity, the gospel, can be read within my life and your life. That's what people want to read. They want to see walking epistles, walking by between you and me this morning. Amen? You know, there was a time that I met this. I was very good friends with this leader. Very, uh, very much into present truth, new light. In fact, they were so much into present truth that they actually uh, felt so strong and they felt that the Seventh-day Adventist church had apostasy, and that they actually went and started their own church. I have a lot of friends everywhere, you know. So I went to stay with him on the mainland, and I'm staying with him, and he's promoting this uh, present truth and the truth and the church is apostasite. They went to apostasy and they're going off and everything and, and criticizing the church. You ever heard people like that? So here I'm, I'm going, I'm excited, he's very friendly to me, because he likes, you know, we, I go on the word, he likes that. So he's all excited, and I'm, I, I finally get to stay with him, and I go into his, and they had their own church outside of the conference, they broke away, started their own church, and so I'm walking into the house, and then he walked up, and said, he's so friendly and nice, and when I came into the home, um, there's his wife, and as I, soon as I walked into the home, you know what, the whole time, he never introduced me to his wife at all. Not only did he not introduce me to his wife, but the whole time in there, they did not even talk to each other. And when I felt the tension in there, you could cut it with a knife, it was so thick in there. And I, I felt so uncomfortable. And, and as they walked by, they, they, they won't even look at each other when they walk by in the, in the hallway. Then I thought to myself, regardless of what they claim. What is truth? My mind said, I would never want my family to be like that. How about you? And yes, they may be right about the truth, but just like the Pharisees and religious leaders, yes, they searched the scriptures more than church members. They study the word of God. They know the doctrine. They know the prelude. But one thing they did not know, they did not know Him, Jesus Christ, who is the truth. Amen? that that, who is love, because God is love, and that love did not pervade at home, and to me, the gospel was in the family, was in the home, and how was the children, and how was the relationship with the wife, and how is the family going? That's the question we need to ask this morning, beloved, amen? That is real Christianity. It's in the home, and it doesn't matter what you profess, and doesn't matter how much you want to push, and how much you're right, and I'm wrong, and you can be right all you want, and you can take that with you, but I wanna, I'd rather take Having a home that loves the Lord, amen? amen. That love each other. If you have to choose being right, and you can be right all you want, or me being loving, having love in the home, I'd rather have a home that's full of love. I hope that's your desire. And I know homes that one spouse, one church member likes to go home and preach to the non-adventist spouse, what is the truth? But missing who is the truth? Turn to me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 2. What does knowledge without love amount to? 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 2. Notice the Bible says here. The Bible says, and though I had the gift of what? Prophecy. In other words, we hold these prophecy seminars so you can understand prophecy. Evangelism. And through these prophecy seminars, you understand all mysteries and all knowledge. And though I have all faith, so that I can remove mountains, but even though you do evangelistic meetings and you, you save a lot of souls and you teach them the truth, and but it says here, but you have not charity or love, I am what? <laughs> Worthless. Nothing, according to the word of God. You see, evangelistic efforts are very important because I always believe that evangelism equals life. Amen. Amen. And I really believe that with all of my heart. You know, that's what God blesses church, and I'm feeling that we need to do a second round evangelism in the future for this church. Amen. But if that's all, if, if that's all we're focused on is just the evangelism without the love for their souls, then really that is nothing. If it is evangelism for selfish, selfish glorification for yourself, or myself, and our goal is not really to save them because we love them and want to be saved, then we're missing the whole point of the gospel. Look at just your handout here again. And I want you to share this, this quotation. The second part, it says here, Theoretical discourses are essential. This is from Gospel Workers, page 158, 59. Theoretical discourses are essential. We need to preach the truth and the word. Get into the word. That people may see the chain of truth, link after link, uniting in a perfect whole. Amen. Well listen to this. But how many discourses? No discourse. Is that 99%? 100%. No discourse should ever be preached without presenting who? Christ. And him what? crucified. The crucifixion of Christ reveals the love of God. That's what it does. In other words, you cannot simply preach Christ and Him crucified or the love of God. Everything that's preached should be presented. Christ and Him crucified as the foundation, the the foundation, the base, the structure, the strength of the gospel this morning. Amen? In other words, every time it's preached, not that you have to mention the cross, but you have to mention what is behind the cross, and that the cross reveals the love of God for us this morning. Every time that's preached a crusade, every sermon that's preached in a crusade, every sermon that's preached in evangelistic meetings or in a church, so always present how much God loves you this morning. Amen? And that love will motivate us to become obedient to his word. Because that's what God wants, is obedience. And the only way you can be obedient is to the foundation or the power of God's love. Amen? You know, I started off as a minister, I believed in the word, I went into the study of the word, I taught the word, I went to evangelism, I went into the, deep into the doctrines, upholding the standards, which I completely agree to even today. But one thing was missing, and this is the name of the sermon, Love's Unlikely Enemies. I have got so caught up in the standards and the doctrines and the prophecies, I have left, or never even, I have left, I knew the love of God, I left the love of God, and these, I call them enemies of love, I got so caught up in evangelism and the doctrines and the standards so much, I forgot the whole purpose of these things, and forgot about the love of God not realizing that the standards of God are there to protect our love with God, amen? The doctors are there to reveal the beautiful character of God's love. Evangelism is there to reveal the great controversy of God's love against the evil wickedness and selfishness of Satan to the people out there who are starving to love and to be loved out there, amen? That's the whole purpose. Not the point to get to build a church or to get more numbers or to get more people. Or not so much to prove you wrong and then prove me right for selfish pride. But to reveal a God that loves you this morning. Amen? That loves them out there. To have these teachings. You know, that's why we voted in the church board. I went to every single Bible study there is out there this last year. There were like 50 studies. And I revamped the whole Bible work program. And we found the studies that teach our doctrines and standards but is saturated with the love of God. And these studies, I mean the Bible workers are telling me now, we just started to get going. These are having amazing success out in the field, amazing. The foundation that God is love this morning. I would like to share with you the story here in John. Turn to John chapter 4, verse 7 in your Bibles. John, the book of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John chapter 4, verse 7. We're going to look at a story here this morning. The Samaritan woman at the well. Now, what did the woman of Samaria do? We're going to look at a few texts here. John chapter 4, verse 7. Note what the Bible says here. What does she want? There come in a woman of Samaria to draw what? What did she want to draw? Water. water. So she wanted water. That's what she wanted. So why do people want water? Because they're what? Okay, thirsty. So she's thirsty. She's thirsting for something. She's thirsting for water. She's very thirsty. Now, we find out later that not only was she thirsting for physical water, but she was thirsting for what? Spiritual water. In other words, the spiritual water of God, which is love, to thirsting and longing for love and to be loved. That's what she was wanting. And she was searching for this love. But all she knew, she didn't know at that that time that she was was thirsting for this spiritual water. But all she knew that she was missing something in her life. Something was missing. and She didn't know what she was looking for. But what she was looking for all her life was something called love this morning, amen? Which is God, which is God because God is love. Then what happened in verse 13? Let's jump down to 13 and 14. What did you just say to this woman? So he says to her, 4, 13 and 14, he says, Jesus said to her, whoever drinks of this water from the well, the physical water, is going to what? You're going you're to thirst again, the physical water. And the water we drink down there in, in the potluck area? But 14 says, but whoever drinks of this water, the spiritual water that I give to him, would never thirst for the water i give to him shall be in him a well of water springing up into eternal life so he made a distinction between physical water and spiritual water because he knew spiritual water was satisfying. look at verse 15 when this woman realized what she had been always long, longed for what she did she realized she wanted this spiritual water what did she say verse 15 she said the woman said unto him jesus sir." Give me this water that I thirst not, neither come to draw. Give me this water that you can't draw from a well, you turn it on a faucet. Give me this water that will satisfy my heart. Give me this this real spiritual water that is to love and to be loved. Give me this water, I want this water to Jesus. And then notice what happened in verse 16. How did Jesus respond to this, this request? Notice what it says here. He didn't say, okay, here's the water. What did he say? He said, Jesus said to her, Go call your what? Your husband and come. Before this woman could appreciate the spiritual water of love, she first had to deal with her vain, her own vain search for love. Are you following me? See, she wanted this love. And Jesus said, I can give it to you, but first I must direct to your issues that you're hiding. In your vein of searching your whole life, trying to find this love in other men. So call your husband. And how did the woman respond in verse 17? The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Period. End of story. Keep it short. I don't want you going there, Jesus. This is end of story. Period. Nothing else. I have no husband. That's all I want you to know, right? you met people like that, you kind of hit a sore spot and they cut it short. They do not want you to go there, right? So Jesus was going there, he he stopped him. But what did Jesus do? (laughs) Notice what Jesus said. Jesus said, yeah, that's right, you don't have any husband, in verse 17. Then he says, for you have had five husbands, five divorces. And he whom you're with now is not your husband, you're living in sin. And that says you truly know he called her out he had to go there he had to show her that you're looking for love in all the wrong places you're not looking you haven't found the real the love that that can truly satisfy the longings of your heart the longings of your soul she had utterly failed in her attempts he must she he must bring her to realization of this now what did the woman then do now notice what happens next he pulls out the issue. He pulls out that she's searching for love. She's failed in her relationships, one after another after another. She's attempting to find this love, has never found it. And now he pulls it out and calls her on and tells you you had five marriages, five divorces, you're living with your boyfriend who's not married, and you're living in sin. What are you going to do? Notice what she did. The Bible says here next, John chapter 4, 19 and 20. It says, The woman said unto him, Sir, I perceive you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped in the mountain. And you say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Now, what does that have to do with actually her five husbands and five divorces and living in sin? What does that have to do? She changed the subject. See when this message that Jesus shared with her got a little bit too close to home, she quickly changed the subject. For she brought up a theological know what it brought, she brought up. She brought a theological dispute, beloved, as to who was right. Were the Samaritans right? Were the Jews right? In other words, she wanted to argue theological issues so she could actually detract from the real issue of the emotional and the mental pain and lack of love within her own life. Amen? You see, when people do not have the needs of love fulfilled by God, they often tend to dwell upon issues so as to distract others and their own mind away from their inner pains. Show me a person who likes to get involved in fanaticism and sensationalism, and I will show you someone who comes from a broken home. Show me someone who goes off on these different teachings of present truth or doctrines, and I'll show you a new light, and I'll show you someone who has had relational problems. Show me someone who likes to dispute and fight over theology, and I'll show you someone who never felt loved by the father or their mother. Just like the Samaritan woman, there are many out there who detract from the real issue, which is the fact that they have been looking for love and to be in love, In all the wrong places and never been satisfied. Now notice what happens in 28 and 29. What happened when a woman finally found this acceptance and love by Jesus? Notice the Bible says in 28 and 29. The woman then left her what? Water pot. And went away into the city. Says to the men, come see a man which told me all things that ever I did is not this the Christ. When this woman finally found the love and acceptance of Jesus Christ, she left the water pot to tell everyone in the city of a man who was able to feel the longings of her soul. Now, why did she leave a water pot? She didn't leave a water pot just to tell of the new light she received separated from the love of God. She didn't tell up the wa- leave her water pot just to tell of the, the present truths she learned without the love of God. She didn't tell her to leave a water pot just to tell her the evangelism that happened to her that was devoid of the love of God. The reason why she left the water pot is because she had finally experienced the love of God in all these things within her life, beloved, amen? Through the word of God. And beloved, we will never leave our water pots, which is our complacency, our careers, our jobs, and our sins we have in our lives unless we first experience the love of God within our hearts, beloved, Amen. <coughs> Beloved, today? There's a God who loves us this morning. Who in his word reveals to us that he is love. And God this morning wants us to see within the whole Bible, when you read the word of God, everything is within the picture that God is love. When you first start reading the spirit of prophecy, the first few words you read in the Conflict of the Ages series is what? God is love. In the great controversy, in the end, uh, end of Revelation, the last three words that you're going to read is what? God is love. In other words, every time we read the word of God, we must come to the lenses that God is love this morning. And God wants to show us his love. And that my God this morning, he doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. In other words, he loved us back then when we first became Christians, but guess what? He loves you the same this morning, amen. amen? And he will still love you for all eternity because God is love and he doesn't change. And I want to serve him. How about you? If that's your desire to serve him with all your heart this morning, would you raise your hand with me this morning? Amen. Our closing hymn this morning is 248. Any hymn 248. Oh, How I love Jesus.